joy uh, to be able to open up God's Word to us this morning. Uh, Let me tell you the best bit about being a church minister. Can I tell you that? The best bit is when people discover you've got a cough, they come and fill your pockets with pills and potions. Um, I have got, well, I've got a chemist shop in my pockets at the moment. So if anyone wants anything after, it's just £5 a pill towards the... uh, Uh, So I'm currently uh, on these, Fisherman's Friends. I mean, what awful things. Um, Thanks to Anita for sponsoring the message uh, this morning uh, with these. I'm fine as long as I don't talk or sing, so we'll see what happens. So this morning we get to the end of our, our little teaching series, reaching out with the word go in the middle. And over the last few weeks, we've been thinking about the different ways that God uses us, most often in the place where he's already planted us. But then sometimes he'll pick us up, he'll transplant us and plant us in a new place, but always for the same reason. Whether we stay or whether we go, it's always that we will be carriers of the good news of Jesus. We've heard the challenge, haven't we, over recent weeks to use the combination of our words and our actions and our lifestyles to be nothing more than tools that we can use for the the proclamation of the gospel. And today, as we draw things towards a close, I want us to see how, in addition to our words, our actions, and our lifestyles, that God can actually take our attitudes to share our faith with others too. Our words, our actions, our lifestyles, but to our attitudes. And what I hope you'll hear this morning from our scripture verses is a call to big-heartedness, to big-heartedness. If you've got a Bible, uh, that's great. Uh, Turn with me or switch your Bible on uh, to Romans chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 9 through to 21 this morning. It says this. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people all who are in need, practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone." If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good." Well, I wonder if I asked you a question this morning, taking worshipping God as a given, okay, that's a given, that's uh, given as a, a for granted, what's the one thing that we should make our number one priority above and beyond that in the life of the church? What's the one thing? We're worshipping God. What's the one thing beyond that we ought to make a priority in the life of the church? Now, of course, it ought to go without saying that for every church, without exception, 
there's a call upon that church to have this deliberate balance between the Word of God and the Spirit. Every church is called to be thoroughly grounded in the Scriptures, whilst at the same time being liberated by the Spirit of God so that we can experience the freedom of God in our worship, but too in our private prayer lives. John chapter 4 categorically tells us the kind of worship that God is looking for. It says there, for a time is yet coming and has already come when true worshippers will worship the, spirit, the Father in spirit and in truth. For these are the worshippers that the Father desires. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. That's a priority for us. I want us to assume that's a given. But what next after that comes in line for us as a church to prioritize here at CBC? Well, perhaps one of the most overlooked and basic priorities for the church is that of hospitality. The New Testament letter of 1 Peter emphasizes this as a, a priority for anyone who's going to be a follower of Jesus. Throughout 1 Peter, Peter's been encouraging his listeners first to prioritize worshiping God. He said, start there. And then he moves on and says, live a holy life before God. But then having said much about those two themes, he gets to chapter 4, verse 8, and then perhaps surprisingly says this, above all, love each other deeply. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Offer hospitality without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various Forms. Interesting opening two words. Above all, above all, says Peter, says God through Peter, love each other deeply and offer hospitality without grumbling. Have you ever done that? Before, during, and after you've had someone maybe come round to your house, you thought to yourself, why did I do this stupid thing? Why did I invite them? This is going to be such hard, hard work. Even when you're hiding in the kitchen, oh, why are they here? Have you ever done that? I've never done that. I can't believe anyone would. But you see, God calls us to love others deeply. And then in the very next breath, he says that the finest way to express that deep, big-hearted love is by being hospitable. It's not something we can fake, love, is it? Love cannot remain inwardly theoretical and abstract. It has to find an outward expression somehow that people would know that they're loved. And hospitality is but one way, a very significant way of doing that. Well, if you've looked at the Bible even just a little bit in your lifetime, then you'll find it uh, very difficult not to conclude that the Scriptures have much to say about love. Welcome. God loves us, and He loves us lavishly. God loves us lavishly. Maybe you need to hear that this morning. God is a God who loves us lavishly. But the Scriptures also reveal to us that we're invited to love God ourselves back sacrificially. He loves lavishly, and he makes an invitation to love him sacrificially. But somewhere in the mix of that two-way relationship is also the sense in Scripture that that two-way relationship of love should overflow tangibly so that others can experience it too. In the Scripture reading that we've just heard, we, we heard about the kind of love that God calls us to. Love sincerely hate evil, love devotedly, honor others, hope joyfully, pray faithfully, practice hospitality generously. 
I really love the way the message version of the Bible translates these verses from Romans 12. It says this, love from the very center of who you are and don't fake it. Be good friends who love deeply, who practice playing second fiddle. Help needy Christians. And then it says this, be inventive with hospitality. I love that. Be inventive with hospitality. Now, as we hear these words this morning from Scripture, it's very clear, isn't it, that loving and offering hospitality, doing all of these things, is not some kind of optional extra for the Christian. It's not just reserved for those people who are high achievers of the faith. As we hear these words, it's almost as if they come across as a command, a duty that should be prioritized in the life of every single follower of Jesus. Expressing love through sharing with others, especially through hospitality, is right up there in the hierarchy of spiritual disciplines. I don't know whether you've ever thought of hospitality as a spiritual discipline, but that's kind of how it comes across. There's an expectation that we'll engage in these things in the same way we'll engage in in prayer and, and the study of Scripture and worship and so on. Now, it needs to be said, because I think we often get this wrong, don't we? Genuine hospitality is much bigger than just welcoming somebody to church on a Sunday morning. Genuine hospitality is about much more than welcoming somebody into our midweek program uh, during the week. Genuine hospitality is about so much more than just throwing a, a tea party where you get to use your finest bone china. Don't we love to get that out the cupboard? You see, the text doesn't say, does it, practice welcoming people. It doesn't say, put on your best performance. It doesn't say, quick, vacuum, polish, hide the mess, clean the toilets. Kids, please try not to argue when the people come through the door. Darling, don't fall asleep whilst the guests are here. You see, the text calls for something so, so much deeper. Hospitality is is an action. It's a sincere, genuine, deep, big-hearted love which flows from the very center of who God has revealed, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) there we go, revealed himself to be uh, to us. Hospitality is all about the way that we make room for others in our lives, or as we've described it before, as we invite others into our space, wherever and whatever that space might be. Now, that space might be your home, It might be around your dining table, but it could equally be a trip to the local cafe that you frequent. It might be that you invite somebody into your space as you walk along the beach or as you join in at the local pub quiz or whatever. Can I be really honest with you for a moment? I'm really good at making room for myself in life. Maybe you're with me in this. And yet sometimes I struggle to make room for others. Often our acceptance and our love is forged on the grounds first of having established some kind of agreement and similarity with the other person. We ask ourselves questions like, well, do you share the same theology as me? Do you share the same beliefs as me? Are you in a similar social standing to me? Do we have the same outlook on life? Can we agree some kind of moral code whilst we're going to be together? And let's check that's compatible. Well, if the answer is yes to all of those questions, then we can find ourselves then saying, well, please, then you must come around my house for dinner. If the answer is yes, then we say, well, then in that case, you simply must come for a coffee with me or for a walk along the beach. We must spend some time together. The problem, though, with those sorts of questions when we ask them is that we end up spending time with people who are just like us to the exclusion of people who are not like us. Think for a moment about the people that you know really well Just bring them into your mind's eye for a moment. I can almost guarantee you they're just like you are. 
I know that's true of my friendship group. But biblical hospitality goes so much deeper than that shallow kind of approach. Biblical hospitality is about something much bigger than inviting people who are already like us to engage in activities which we already share a common interest in. Perhaps one of the most often quoted and and best known but probably least applied verses of Scripture in the Bible about hospitality come from Hebrews chapter 13. It says this, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without even knowing it. Isn't it a brilliant text? It's a great text, but I don't want you to miss the key word. You see, the key word is not angels. The key word is strangers. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers to strangers, to outsiders, to unfamiliar people, to those who we might say are outside of the faith that we enjoy. Those people who are unknown to us, unfamiliar to us, the author of Hebrews says, welcome them, welcome strangers into your space and love them because you never know you might just be entertaining an angel as you welcome them. That sounds like a good evening into me, spending time with an angel. Have you ever done that? Well, Meg and I had a date night last week, and she said that. I've just spent time with an angel. (laughs) You see, God's message about hospitality to the church is really quite clear. By all means, welcome and accept and love those people who are already like you, but don't forget to welcome the stranger. Didn't Jesus model this perfectly? You know, as a Christian, I'm just so passionate to try and make my life look something like the life of Jesus. Think of Jesus for a moment as he engaged with the Samaritan woman. Jesus is engaged with uh, those who are outcasts in society, with crippled beggar. Think of Jesus' interaction with the rich young ruler, with a demon-possessed man, with Jairus, who was a synagogue ruler. Think of the encounter with a hemorrhaging woman. Think of his encounter with an adulterous woman who was being paraded by the religious leaders. You see, all of these people were strangers to Jesus. They were outsiders in society, and yet Jesus makes a point of spending time with them. And what's so challenging to me is that almost none of those interactions happened in what we might call a religious setting. Jesus talked with people about spiritual issues and matters of eternal significance in the places where they were most familiar, in the spaces that they inhabited. The challenge from our text is to not forget to spend time with those who might be different to us. Now, I don't know what that means for you today, because it will be different for each one of us. But maybe we need to think about spending time with people who are younger than us, or spending time with people who are older than us. Spending time with people who might have a different moral code to us, who might have a different lifestyle, maybe spending time with people who don't yet share our faith in Jesus. There's a challenge for us not to forget to welcome those who don't yet belong and those who don't yet share our faith in Christ. You know, this message about hospitality that I sense God gives us today is a really challenging one, isn't it? Because it's going to draw us out of our comfort zones, most of us. It's a very uncomfortable thing to do, to suddenly start engaging with a stranger, especially if they're strange. Here's a great quote. All too often, the church practices hostility rather than hospitality to those who are strangers. And yet all the time we lament the fact that church attendance statistics don't look too hot. 
Think about some people we interact with. Do we offer them hospitality or are we offering them hostility? You know, as I look at the stories contained in the Gospels, I've got absolutely no doubt in my mind whatsoever that Jesus was the most hospitable man who's ever lived. And if Jesus was hospitable, then I want to be hospitable. Don't we see that dramatically worked out at the very beginning of Luke chapter 15, the lost chapter of Luke, if you know it. It says this, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Well, if you know what happens after that, Jesus goes on to tell three parables about lost people who are coming into relationship with God. He spends time with sinners and he eats with them. Now, Jesus in this moment was being accused of spending time with tax collectors, and there was a reason why tax collectors were outcasts in society. These were Jewish people employed by the Roman government to collect taxes from the Jews. The problem was if, the, if Rome requested £100, then the tax collectors would take 150 and then they'd pocket the difference. In Jesus' day, I mean, this is not true at all today, is it? Tax collectors were viewed as being dishonest, traitorous, and, and greedy thieving types. We'd never think that today. But there's a reason why the tax collectors was, would eat together. It's because nobody else would include them at their tables. Why? Because they were different. Because they had a different moral code, a different lifestyle that meant they just didn't belong. So they remained as strangers. These were people segregated from society who would never be welcomed to the dinner table apart from around other tax collectors. And we need to remember that the dinner table, the invitation to sit around the table was a really big deal in Jesus' time. It still is today. Of course, all this was shocking to the religious leaders because in truth, the Jews wouldn't eat with anybody, actually. They wouldn't eat with the Gentiles. They wouldn't eat with tax collectors, the sick, the Samaritans. And the list goes on and on and on. And yet you look at Jesus and here's a man, here is God with skin on, a Jew, don't forget, who comes to eat with people just such as these. And in disgust, the Pharisees say to Jesus in verse 2 of Luke 15, he welcomes them. He welcomes them. Now, the word welcome here that's used in the Greek, sorry, I hate doing this, but it's important this morning. The word that for welcome here from the Greek means quite literally to mean to receive and to accept another person. To receive and to accept another person. Jesus accepts and receives people who the rest of society would not accept and receive. Jesus loves these people. Jesus welcomes these people into his space whilst the rest of society is shutting the doors to them. And what happens? Nearly every single one of them has a life-transforming encounter with Jesus as a consequence. Amazing. You know, I was very challenged last weekend when Kay made something of a passing reference to, to the ministry of Jesus. If you know, in Luke chapter 4, uh, Luke captures the manifesto of Jesus, his reason for being. And it says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to who? To the poor. To those who otherwise would be outcasts. He sent me to proclaim freedom for who? For the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, for release for the oppressed. You see, Jesus' priority then, and it still is, is for the lost and the least and the broken and the sick and the outcast and the stranger. And if that's Jesus' priority, then it needs to be mine. You see, with Jesus, the grace of God always comes knocking on the door before there's ever a call to repentance and then consequently transformation. 
through astonishing, radical acts of hospitality, making space for others, Jesus demonstrates that truth time and time again. His grace is seen and people respond to the grace of Christ. People always respond to the grace of Christ. They don't respond so well to hostility. Now, here's where the rubber really hits the road for us this morning. The most basic and the most important ingredient for any growing, vibrant church is love. Love expressed by welcoming people into the spaces that we inhabit. Love, that's it. Now, that might sound a bit cheesy and a bit twee. I kind of get that. But make no mistake about it. There's nothing twee or cheesy about the kind of love that we're speaking here. This is agape love. This is love that's unconditional. This is love that's strong and consistent. It's a love that's pure. It's a love that puts the needs of the other person first. It's a love that welcomes the sinner, the sick, and the stranger, just as they are, regardless of what their lifestyle and beliefs might be, but always with a longing for their transformation that they'll become more like Jesus as a consequence of that interaction. Do you remember once as Jesus was engaging with one of those outcasts of societies, a stranger, he was asked which commandment was the most important, and he said this, to love God and to love people. In just four words, Jesus sums up the mission of the church and the central thread of the gospel. Love God and love people. What I want to do this morning is relieve you of the burden that thinking that hospitality is all about getting your best crockery and cutlery out and buffing up your brass ornaments. That's quite difficult to say. Hospitality is the invitation and welcoming of friends and strangers, but also the strange ideas and beliefs that they might bring with them. Can you see, actually, hospitality is much more about my attitude of heart and mind than it is about a three-course meal in my home. As I close, I want to leave you with a word which we made up some years ago when we were speaking about hospitality, and the word is hospitalitude hospitalitude. It's a phrase that's drawn from the idea of hospitality, meaning to pursue the love of strangers, to welcome strangers into your house, but then also it bolts on this whole idea of an attitude or a beatitude, signifying the need to engage your heart and your mind in the exercising of hospitality, hospitalitude. And my hope for my life, and I I really hope this is your hope for your life as we come to the end of this Reaching Out teaching series, is that the hospitalitudes will be even more evident in your life. And do you know, hospitality always begins with invitation. If we never make an invitation, we will never have the joy of entertaining an angel. If we never offer invitation, we'll never have the joy of encountering somebody who otherwise might not have been around our table and therefore might be excluded from understanding and coming to know the grace of Jesus because God loves to share the grace of God through people like you and me. Invitation is the means through which hospitality is created. So if stranger was the key word in that text from Hebrews about entertaining angels, then the key word from 1 Peter is offer. Hospitality begins when we invite or we offer others the opportunity to be part of the possibility that we're a part of. Do you know, my greatest longing for my friends and and family is that they'll come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's my greatest longing. That they'll come to experience something of this incredible, liberating relationship that I've come to know. And I realize I need to make a few invitations. 
We need to go for a walk. We need to spend time together over a meal. We need to go for a coffee. And just somewhere in the mix of offering that hospitality, it's just possible that I'll be asked about the hope that I have, and I have the joy of telling them I know Jesus, and he's made all the difference to my life. Can I encourage you never to underestimate the power of a simple invitation? Of course, the other person can say no. They've got the right to say no. But I simply want to pray for us today. Holy Spirit, give us the courage to make an invitation to invite another person into our space. So there's a possibility that they might just encounter this amazing gospel that I've come to encounter. Do you know, I have a sneaking suspicion after five weeks of speaking on this theme. Don't worry, we move on to other stuff next week. After five weeks of speaking on this theme, I have a sneaking suspicion that hospitality is probably the most powerful evangelistic tool that we have. And we need to use it. Hospitalitude. I pray that this week your hospitalitude will gush to others. That your hospitalitude will be expressed as you make a simple invitation to another person to enter the space that you inhabit. And my prayer for you in the week ahead as it is for me is that people come into, as people come into that space, I might just have the joy of being able to tell them about the hope that I have in Jesus. Let's be still together. So I'm really struck this morning by that truth, and maybe this is for some of us this morning. Actually, this is the thing you need to hear today, that God loves you lavishly. He loves you lavishly, and he loves you unconditionally with a love that you will experience in no other place. And Lord, we want to say to you this morning, thank you for your lavish love, a lavish love that we know we don't deserve. And yet, because of your grace, you give it. Because of Jesus, you're able to give that love that draws us into relationship with you. And maybe today, some of us just need to experience that lavish love for, for the first time. And I want to encourage you this morning, if, if that's you, just simply echo a, a tiny little prayer, just in the quietness of your own heart, just inviting the lavish love of God to be your experience by inviting Jesus to be your forever friend, to be your saviour. Here's a prayer. Just echo it in your own heart if this is you this morning. Lord Jesus, I, I thank you for your love expressed on the cross. Jesus, I thank you that in you I experience the lavish love of my Father God. Thank you that your love enables the forgiveness of my sin. Thank you that you died on a cross so I can be in relationship with you. From today, Jesus, I trust you to be my forever friend, to be my Lord and to be my saviour. If you just prayed that prayer at the end, just... Again, in the quietness of your own heart, just say a really simple amen, which means I just agree with everything I've just prayed. Lord, thank you for your lavish love for us this morning.
Maybe for others of us this morning, that's not our thing. Actually, we know we're loved lavishly by God. Maybe for others of us today, we just want to be able to express that love back to God more. Maybe there are some struggles or your wrestles. I think it's so helpful early, wasn't it, when Kay just reminded sometimes there's chaos in our life, there's stuff in our life we, we need to deal with. And before we race out the doors of this place this morning, I want to just give you and God just a moment again in the privateness of your your own contemplations here, just to name the thing, name the couple of things that may be a barriers to your relationship with Jesus today that just need to be taken away, the clutter that's there, the rubbish that's been stored for too long. The spring clean, spiritually speaking, that needs to be done. Just have a sense this morning that for some of us, if we deal with some of that, baggage some of those barriers actually it will just free us in our love of God it won't be in the way anymore come Lord Jesus Lord take the stuff that burdens us the stuff that troubles us the sin that so easily entangles us and trips us up and causes us to fall Lord, thank you for your finished work on the cross that makes it possible for that stuff to be dealt with eternally. Free us in our relationship and our walk with you. And maybe there's a third category of us this morning. We're good with God. We know that we love lavishly. We have a sense that actually things are good between us and Jesus today. That's fab. Maybe the challenge for us is this bit that calls us out of our comfort zones. Lord, help us to love the stranger. Help us to love sincerely. Help us to express hospitality. And Lord, I pray this morning for each one of us, by your Spirit, equip us and resource us to invite others into the spaces that we inhabit so that we might have the incredible privilege of telling other people about Jesus. Thank you, love us so much. Lord, we want to love you more. We want to be used by you to share this good news. In Jesus' name, amen. as we bring our service towards a close our final song just reminds us that it's not ourselves that we have Christ in us and that it's him so if the challenge of today is scaring you it's fine, it's him it's Christ that's in us he will give us the strength, the ability and the confidence to be able to, to do the things he asks